we do turn to the Word together. We turn to God's Word. I hope you have a copy of the Scriptures with you. I hope you have your Bibles and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 with me, would you please? This morning, let's go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 is where we are this morning as we continue this study in this short letter. And I want to encourage you to sit down this week with your copy of God's Word and turn to Philippians and read through this short book in its entirety. It only takes just a few minutes. I hope you'll take some time this week. Take that encouragement, that challenge for me to take a few moments this week, maybe even once each day this week. Sit down and and read through this short letter. It will only take a few minutes, and I think you will sense what we see here, this real spirit of joy that Paul has as he writes. Of course, we believe Paul wrote this letter from prison, which is even more more remarkable that there's so much joy that, that flows from this short letter. His joy is unmistakable, even in a a severely adverse circumstance. What's also clear here is that Paul also deeply cared for these people, these believers to whom he is writing, and that is evident in his prayers for them. In fact, Paul's joy is partly a result of how he prays. That's what we see in Philippians 1. We saw it back in verses 3 and 4 when he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. There is great joy that awaits every believer in prayer. It's one of the reasons we began our year 2016, with the emphasis on reading the Bible and praying. Those are pillars for our faith. They are also pillars for our joy. There is great joy that awaits every believer in prayer, and how we pray for others is just as important that we pray. How we pray is important. So I'd like us to look closely at verses 9 through 11 this morning where we're going to see the specifics of how Paul prayed for the Philippian believers because if we can learn from Paul's example, we too can know the joy of prayer. There is great joy that awaits us as we learn to pray according to God's desires, according to God's word. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read verses 9 through 11 in Philippians 1 from the English Standard Version. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to see this morning, I want you to see five ways Paul focuses his prayers for the believers at Philippi. And these are five ways I think we can focus our praying and do so very biblically 
focus our praying biblically for others so that our praying doesn't become merely a recitation of everyone's physical ailments. You've probably heard the old saying, the prayer meeting has become an organ recital at times. As we pray for everybody's physical ailments. Well, there's nothing wrong with praying for physical ailments. We do, and we should, but we should also pray biblically, and we have a very biblical prayer here that reaches out and, and, and sows threads throughout the Scriptures that pull in powerful truths that will help inform our praying. We ought to pray for each other. We ought to pray for one another, and we ought to do so biblically. So I want to take you to these, through these verses to look closely at how Paul prayed this morning and to see five focusing elements of Paul's prayer for these believers at Philippi that will help inform our praying for ourselves and for one another. I want you to note first that Paul focused on their love. It's so important. He focused on their love when he prayed for them. Paul says in verse 9, and it's interesting that this is the first thing he says. He says in verse 9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Now it's interesting to note here that Paul is not praying for their love to begin. I hope, I hope that someday you'll just start loving. It's, he's not saying that. In fact... We're going to see in future studies, Lord willing, that these believers demonstrated their love for Paul by their faithful support of him in his ministry. They supported him. They encouraged him. They served alongside him. They were already demonstrating love. This was a church that was already showing love. They were already doing this right. But he's praying for their love to overflow. He's praying for an overflow, an increase. He wants their love to spill over into the lives of other people even more than it was. He wanted them to be so full of God's love that it would completely fill them to the point of overflowing into the lives of others. And it wasn't just their love for others, but also their love for God that he's concerned about. He's praying that their love for others would increase, but also that their love for God would increase, that Paul is praying that that this would increase and overflow. In fact, true, wholehearted love for God will result in an overflow of love that shows itself in love for others. And honoring love, God-honoring love, biblical love, the kind of love that honors God, God God-honoring love for people must begin with your love for God. In Mark's gospel, chapter 12, we hear Jesus emphasizing uh, emphasizing this when, when he answers the scribe who the scribe came to him and wanted to know what was the most important commandment of, of all. Jesus answered by, and this is important, I think, Jesus answered by connecting love for God and love for others. Saying in Mark chapter 12, verse 29 and following, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you're hearing two commands there. And then he says, there is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus connects love for God and love for others, love for people. And that's what Paul is praying for in the lives of the believers at Philippi. And even though Paul knew they were showing love, he was encouraged by this fact that they were showing love. He also knew that God's work in their lives wasn't finished. We heard this earlier in verse 6. We saw it where he says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God's not done with you yet. He's still working in you. He's still working through you. And this ought to be our prayer for our own lives and for one another, that each day we learn to love God more fully and grow in our love for the people all around us out of obedience to God's word as a reflection of the love that God has planted in us, as a reflection of the love that God is growing in us through his grace and mercy on us through the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's note something important here about the kind of love that Paul was praying for an increase of. He says in verse 9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, note it, with knowledge and all discernment. Now, what kind of love is Paul praying for an increase of? He's praying that their knowledge, their understanding of God's word would increase. And we know, don't we, that this comes for us from regularly being taught God's word, putting ourselves under the preaching of, the proclaiming of God's word. And it comes from scheduling time that we're going to Invest in, in our day to get God's word into our lives. Taking time to think carefully about what God's word is saying to us, teaching us, instructing us, correcting us in. And then taking steps to obey it. The Bible teaches us to love what God loves. The Bible teaches us to love God's commands. And it makes clear for us his love for us, showing us what true love is. How absolutely necessary and important it is for us to feed on God's word, for our souls to be fed and nourished and equipped with God's word so that we know how to love This command is so important. It's interesting that Paul prays this first. It's because this command is so important. God says, love me, heart, soul, mind, strength, and love others. There's no commandment greater than these. Listen, beloved, this ought to shape our praying. I had to think carefully about this this week as I was thinking about this. It, it was convicting to me to think, wait a minute, I don't often pray for the people that I pray for that their love would increase more and more 
and overflow and be guided by knowledge and discernment. This ought to guide our praying. This ought to inform our praying. Knowing about love isn't enough. We also need discernment to apply the knowledge of love in practical, everyday life. We need the wisdom of God's word to guide our love. You need knowledge and discernment from God's word shaping your love because love isn't just a feeling. Love is an act of the will. You must choose to love. And sometimes that choice will have to be made despite how you feel. And the love like that, you need a love that overflows from a life that is devoted to loving God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving people out of obedience to God. And a love like that, you need a love that overflows from a life that is devoted to reading God's word and living God's word. You need the Bible. I've said it. As we began the year, I said it many times, and I will say it many times again. You need the Bible. I need the Bible. We cannot stand a shortchanging ourselves God's word. We will not know the Lord's joy. We will not know how to pray. We will not know how to love This should be our prayer for one another, beloved. Let's pray for one another that our love for God and people will increase more and more to overflowing, that we don't even have to think about it anymore, that it overflows, that it's just natural because we love God so much. We couldn't think of not loving the people that he's put in our lives. We'll see the purpose for this a little later. It's important we get the purpose right, but I'm not going to tell you just yet until we get there. Now the next focus of Paul's prayers for these believers was for discerning wisdom. We've touched on it already here. He wants them to have wisdom that is discerning. Discerning wisdom. Note the first part of verse 10, that he prayed for them that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. That's wisdom that discerns, wisdom that chooses well. Again, that's why you need God's word informing your decision maker. You need God's word in you to help you make wise choices, to discern well. You need discerning wisdom. Now note the word approve here. Approve means to put something to the test. Now I think we can see in this letter that the Philippian believers were doing many things right. Maybe even many things well when it came to the practice of their faith. But I think Paul was putting them on guard here. I think he's warning them to be careful about not becoming sidetracked by things that were possibly good while failing to devote themselves to what was excellent. Oh my, do we face that problem (laughs) in the day in which we live when there are an abundance of choices and opportunities and, and many good things that we can involve ourselves in? We face that challenge every day. 
And we can easily be sidetracked by things that aren't necessarily bad things. At the outset, we might look at them and say, those aren't sinful things. Those aren't wrong things to do. But they aren't really the best use of the time and resources that God has entrusted to our care. And so we ought to be praying for one another that we would have a love for those things that are excellent as opposed to those things that are merely good. We ought to pray for one another that we will have discerning wisdom to make God-honoring choices with our time and with our resources. Again, we are caretakers of those things that God has entrusted to us. This is not to suggest that there's no good time for resting or recreation. God made us to need rest. He made us so that we need a break. He made us so that occasionally we need a diversion so that we can kind of hit reset. Now, we certainly need those things. We certainly need rest and recreation. Those things should be in balance, but we ought to be asking God for discerning wisdom so that we may approve what is excellent in our lives, so that we might approve what is excellent for our family, what's best, what's most God-glorifying for our family, what's best for God's church. We ought to pray for one another that we will have the wisdom from God's word to make choices about how we live our lives so that we might be making investments that last for eternity. And not only is praying this way for others an opportunity for an increase in our joy as we tune our prayers to God's word, but it's really praying for an increase of their joy when we pray for others. Now let's look at verse 10, where we see that Paul focused on prayer for their integrity. And note how these things build one on the other. His, his prayer for them was that their love may abound more and more. These are like building blocks, that their love may abound more and more, that it may overflow with knowledge and all discernment and other building blocks, so that they may approve what is excellent, another building block. And then, note verse 10, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The idea in this phrase, this pure and blameless idea, in the original language means judged by sunlight. One of the interesting things that I learned a long time ago was that Newspaper makes a great towel for cleaning glass. And so when I want clean glass, I grab an old newspaper and I grab glass cleaner and I wad that newspaper up and I spray the glass cleaner on and I wipe it off until it's dry and then I stand at different angles to see if I've completed the task. I'm judging the clarity of the glass by sunlight or by daylight. We should pray for in our lives and the lives of other believers the kind of integrity that holds up to inspection. We ought to pray for the kind of integrity in our lives, in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ, in the lives of our children, in the lives of people in God's church, that, that those lives will stand inspection, close inspection. We need the kind of integrity that holds up when judged by the light of the Son of God that holds up when judged by the light of the word of God. 
This guards us against merely putting on a good show for others, which is so easy to do in the church. This ought to guard us against just trying to put on a good front, a good face, seeking instead to sincerely and genuinely live our lives to please the Lord. This ought to be our heart's desire and longing that, that no matter what people say about us at the outset, that we live in such a way that honors God so that when they look really closely, they really don't have anything to hold against us. Lives of integrity. We should pray that our lives will pass inspection when held up to the light of the Son of God to be judged. Note, too, that this should mean that we are sincere in our beliefs. We need to be sincere in our beliefs. What do you believe about God, about His Word, about His Son? Are you sincere in your beliefs? Are you sincere in those things that you say you believe? Does your life prove your sincerity so that others can't use your life for an excuse for their unbelief? Because, you know, how the world says the church is full of hypocrites. Let's prove them wrong. We can give people an excuse for their unbelief. They will still be held accountable to God, but we don't want to be accountable to God because we have given people an excuse for disbelief. How might that happen? Here's just one example. John MacArthur says, sometimes children in the most godly homes rebel against the Lord. More often than not, however, an errant child rebels against God rebels because of the hypocrisy of his parents, knowing that the faith they profess, regardless of how genuine and sincere it may appear to others in the church and community, is not manifested in their private lives. Although that does not excuse the sin of such children, it does make their parents share the guilt. Listen, beloved. You realize, don't you, that your private life reveals what you really are to God. God knows what you really are. God knows who you really are. And very often, the people nearest you know who you really are. So Paul prayed for the Philippian believers that they would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We ought to pray that for each other. We ought to pray that for our own spiritual lives, for our own families and for our children and for God's church. We had to pray that for each other, that we would be pure and blameless as we await the Lord Jesus Christ's return. There is coming a day when we will each appear before Christ and we will give to him an account of the way that we lived our lives says 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let me remind you that the Bible is clear, that we won't have to be concerned about where we will spend eternity if we have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But we also know, and we see here, that we'll give an account of our lives And that should cause us to seek to be pure and blameless as we await that day.
the idea here in verse 10 is that we ought to seek to live without stumbling into sin. And we ought to seek to live in such a way that we don't cause others to stumble into sin. And while it's true that we'll never be perfect while we remain on this earth, it should be our desire as believers to grow in holiness, to grow in Christ's likeness, to seek to be obedient to God's word, the Bible, to rid our lives of sin and not be a stumbling block that leads others to sin. And so we should pray for one another. And we should even pray for ourselves for integrity as followers of Christ. That we would be people of integrity whose lives stand up to inspection. But more than anything else, whose lives stand up to the inspection of the light of life, the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. The Philippian believers needed it. So Paul prayed for their integrity And what a wonderful privilege, what a wonderful opportunity to build one another up through prayer so that we all would be marked by integrity. In fact, God also intends this for our joy because there is no joy for the duplicitous heart. Now, what else did Paul focus on in prayer for these believers? In verse 11, look at verse 11, we see he focused on fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. He prays that they be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, what is the fruit of righteousness? Listen to the words of James chapter 2 and verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So if your faith in Christ is real, then you're going to be fruitful. Fruitful how? I say fruit is obedience. God's word shows us that. Being fruitful is being obedient. If your faith in Christ is real, then you're going to seek obedience. Listen to Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is, you know the first one? Love. Love. That's where Paul started in his prayer, wasn't it? Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Fruit looks like obedience. Obedience is the fruit of righteousness. But I want you to note here that fruitfulness isn't dependent only on our efforts. Should there be effort on our part to obey? Absolutely, there has to be. But get this, your obedience isn't dependent only on your efforts. It is a result of Jesus Christ working in you. It is the result of Jesus Christ working through you. Notice the phrase again, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Note the next phrase, that comes through Jesus Christ. And to that I have to say, praise God. There are these little things that I see in the Word when I come to them that I just have to say, praise God. What a relief that my 
Christ-likeness doesn't all depend on my doing. Because, my word, I get this wrong so often. Like Paul said, and we can all identify, the thing I don't want to do, I do. The thing I do want to do, I don't do. Praise be to God. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has made growth in Christ, obedience to God's word possible. The fruit of righteousness, the fruit of obedience is by way of Jesus Christ. Don't you ever forget it. It is according to his work in you. John 15, 4 says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Our job is to abide in Christ, to get into God's word, to get God's word into us, to take steps of obedience to God's word, and then depend on the Holy Spirit. We must give ourselves to obedience to Christ, obedience to God's word, and we will have his work in us producing fruit. We will have his help. In fact, we're going to see this when we get to chapter 2 in verses 12 and 13. In fact, look at it right now. Look at chapter 2, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's the working out? It's obedience. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you, beloved. Pastor John Piper says about this, that we are to act in obedience to God's word. Yes, yes, he says, we act. We obey. But, that keep, but what keeps this action from being a work of law as in, if I do this, I'm accepted by God, kind of thing? Or if I do this, I'm saved, kind of thing? What keeps this from being a work of law is that we have acknowledged our helplessness, prayed for enablement, and trusted that precisely in and under our working and willing, it is God who does the work. Therefore, our act is a fruit of the Spirit, not a work of the flesh. And so Paul focused on their fruitfulness when he prayed for them. And we should pray this as well. We ought to be praying for one another that we will each abide in Christ so that we will bear much fruit Now, the ultimate goal of fruit, and really the ultimate goal of these first four focuses that Paul made on prayer for the lives of these believers, the ultimate goal of fruit in the life of the believer is not our own glory, but God's glory. 
That's as it should be, because when we depend on the strength of the Holy Spirit in our lives, as we take steps to live obedient lives, God is glorified. We can rightly say, God helps me. God gets the glory. God is at work in me. It is his glory that's, that's to be exalted here. And the joy is ours to pray this way for one another. And the joy is ours when we seek God growing us, asking God to grow us, asking God to grow others, helping us bear fruit. That glorifies him. And that brings us joy by God's design. The joy is ours when we pray this way out of obedience to God's word. God gets the glory. We get the joy. And that's the fifth focus of Paul's prayer as seen in verse 11. It's a significant phrase here, to the glory and praise of God. The purpose, the point of all this is that God be glorified, that God be made much of, even as we sang in all of our worship songs this morning about God's glory. May our lives sing praise to God for his glory. And so Paul prayed for them And he focused on the glory of God in his prayers for them. He was praying that the lives of these believers would glorify God. This is what the Christian life is all about. Let's get this. Let's get this right. Let's understand this. This is what the Christian life is all about. It's about exalting God. It's about making much of God, not ourselves. It's about giving the glory and praise to God. It's about putting 1 Corinthians 10.31 into practice. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Can I glorify God in this? I want to do this for God's glory. That should be our attitude. I want to do this with everything I've got so that God is made much of. Our words and our actions and everything we do should bring glory to God. And we should pray that this will be true in our lives and in the lives of those around us and in God's church because God is glorious. God is glorious in his grace to give Christ as the sacrifice for sinners. God is glorious to forgive our sins when we trust in Christ. God is glorious to prepare a place for us. God is glorious to indwell us. God is glorious to give us his word. God is glorious to give us the privilege of prayer. God is glorious to give us the privilege of one another in Christ. And if we live lives that are marked by love, discerning wisdom, integrity, and fruitfulness, God will be glorified. Only God can produce these Christ-like characteristics in our lives. And so we pray for them. We ask God for them. We ask for God's help to grow in them. 
And he is the one who deserves all the credit when these are on display in God's people. Paul's prayer for the Philippians is a beautiful example to us of where we should focus our prayers for one another. You want to know joy in your praying? Let's be faithful to pray for one another, focusing on those things that bring God glory. And we can know that these will lead to our joy and will lead to the joy of those for whom we pray.